Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's nice to be warm, right? Very thankful our power went on last night. Strange times. So, uh, what we're going to do today, for those who were with us on Good Friday, you're going to see that was kind of a two-part. What we did then, we're going to do again in a different way. It's Easter, and we're going to tell the Easter story. We're going to focus on the Easter story, but we're going to do it from a, a different angle. Easter happened 2,000 years ago. We're going to rewind more than that. We're going to go back 3,500 years ago, really the very beginning of the Bible. Um, we're going to look at a story that was written down, something that happened 2,000 years ago. It happened 4,000 years ago, but it was written down 1,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Jesus. It was written down a long time ago. Before Jesus, that's the big point. A long time before Jesus. But in this story that we're going to look at, there's another story that's hidden. And you're going to see it. And in that, you're going to see that God had a plan all along. I'm going to dive in and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So we're looking at the book of Genesis beginning in chapter 37, um, beginning verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So it's the story of Joseph. Maybe you know it. I'm going to suggest maybe you don't totally know it. So Joseph says here, he was the favorite father, favorite son of his father. His dad had 11 other sons, so that's not a good thing. FYI, this isn't a memo on parenting. It's not good parenting, favoritism. But in this, to make sense of this story, you have to understand what it's pointing at. So the story begins in this way. Joseph is the favored son. This is my beloved son. And his dad gives him an ornate robe. He is, so to speak, anointed with this special mark of being the beloved son. And his brothers are jealous. And they despise him for it. This is how the New Testament begins. Jesus, being the beloved Son of the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit, and his people. I mean, we read it on Friday. Pilate knew that Jesus was handed over to him because the rulers were jealous of him. So it starts out in a similar way, and you're going to see as we keep going where I'm headed with this. So... Uh, on one particular day, verse 12, now Joseph's brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, 
I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with you and with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Okay, so he's sent by his father to his brothers. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Okay, first, the beloved son, the anointed son, the one who was despised by his brothers is sent by his father to his brothers. This is, once more, this is a huge New Testament theme. Jesus was sent to his people from the father. And then there's this little note. There's this, this, this little thing about how he goes to Shechem and a man finds him. And the man says, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. And he says, oh, I heard them say they were going to Dothan. And so Joseph heads there. And when you look at the Bible, you got to ask questions sometimes of like, okay, why are you telling us this little detail? What's the point? Um, well, everything, he's going to find his brothers, and that's going to change history. It's going to change the life of Joseph. It's going to change the life of the brothers. The whole story that the Bible tells from this point on, God's people going to Egypt, the Exodus, the Red Sea, the plagues, the wilderness, all of it, none of it would have happened if, she if Joseph would have just went home and said, sorry, Dad, I couldn't find him. I went and looked for him. But there's this man that emerges and says, oh, I happened to hear where they went. And this little detail is telling us something that is very big in this story. God is telling his story. God has a plan. God is orchestrating events to bring forth his purpose. And his purpose is good. More on that later. Um, so, he's sent by the Father. And, uh, well, then, after meeting this man, he goes and... Uh, and he finds his brothers, and you pick up in verse 18, and it says, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Once more, the one who is sent by the Father, the people he's sent to, they, they conspire to kill him. Once more, this is the story of Jesus. And by the way, by the way, I said this on Friday, I'll say it again here. If you think I'm kind of going out on a limb, like, okay, you're trying to make these connections, this Old Testament story, and you're trying to tie things together, just sit and wait. There's a hidden story here, and once you see it, you're going to know with certainty that it was planned. And the reason why I am passionate about telling you this story now is because you can see proof in this that the Bible was not what people often say, a bunch of stories written by men. You can see that God is telling his story in this. In this story that was written down many, many years before Jesus was born, 
you're going to see it's God telling his story. So he sends Joseph, the anointed, beloved son, the despised son, to his brothers, and they plan on killing him. And so um, what, what they're going to do is they're going to throw him in this, in this big cistern, a big hole in the ground. Um, Reuben, uh, well, I'll get to Reuben later. So they change their mind, and, and there's more to the story than that. But for time's sake, we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. Judah, the oldest of the boys, they were going to leave him there to die. Judah, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Once more, we see Joseph loved his brothers, and that's going to come out later, even after they did this to him, sold him into slavery. He loved them, and Joseph was betrayed. Joseph was sold, and he was sold for the price of silver. If you were with us Friday, that's significant from the story we told then, but it's even more significant because you may know it was for silver that Jesus was sold. It was for silver that Jesus was betrayed. Betrayed by one he loved. Just keep following, and you're going to see Jesus more in this story. So, um, they, they sell him to the Ishmaelites. So later, Reuben, one of the boys, verse 29, it says, When Reuben returned to the cistern, to, to, the, to the well, and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes which is a sign of grief. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? So this needs to be explained a little bit. Reuben heard the, heard the boys saying, let's kill him. And Reuben had a secret plan. Reuben was like, okay, they're going to put him in the hole and I'm going to pull him out. And this is why. Reuben had done something really bad and had sinned against his father in a pretty serious way. He had dishonored his father. Um, he'd done something really bad, and I'm not going to get into it now, but his father found out about it. And so his relationship with his father was very bad. But Reuben had a plan. When they were talking about killing the boy, he was thinking, I'll go back and I'll rescue him and I will present him to my father. And in that, my relationship with my father will be restored. I'll be forgiven and will be reconciled because I'll present this boy to my father. Which if you know the Christian story, that's what it's all about. That's this whole thing. Jesus is our sacrifice. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all sinned against God. But Jesus, the perfect one, who died in our place, he is our atonement. He is our sacrifice. And because of him, we are reconciled to God. We are forgiven. He stands in our place. And that was Reuben's plan, was to be forgiven in this sense. But the boy was gone because they sold him when he wasn't there. And this cry of Reuben, it just so touches my heart. He says, where can I turn now? Now where shall I go? 
This boy was his only hope for redemption. This story, it leaves you hungry for something. It leaves you thirsty for something. After today, beginning next week, we're going to return to our series on the book of Genesis. And the reason I'm so fascinated by Genesis and the Old Testament is the way that it points to Jesus again and again and again in ways that make it abundantly clear that God had a plan all along and God is telling his story. This is the cry of Reuben that's left unanswered. Where now shall I go to have redemption? And that's, that's the good news that, of why we're here today is we, we go to Jesus who is our sacrifice, who is our redemption. Um, so anyways, Joseph is, is carried off into Egypt. Um, verse 39, chapter 39, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. I just so much here we can say the Old Testament promise that is ours in Jesus is I'm going to bless those who bless you. If Jesus is in your heart, in your life, everything you have will be blessed. Your household will be blessed. The, the word here is God was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Everything prospered in the hands of Joseph. And so it is with those who have Jesus. But that needs to be clarified of what that means. As many of us showed up here cold, <laughs> many of us who believe in Jesus, who've been in the dark for four days, are perhaps wondering, what do you mean by everything prospers? Everything prospers for those who are in Christ. And that's what it's saying about Joseph. And if you don't know, the only reason Joseph is here is because his brother sold him into slavery. He misses his family. I mean, things are going, things had gone bad and things are gonna get worse. Just so you know, things are gonna get worse. You turn the page, things are gonna get, get worse. So what do you mean, it says the Lord is with him and everything prospered. Understand this. God works out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What that means is, what that means is it works out for good. What it means is, yes, it's hard now. Yes, there will be troubles. But the promise for Christians is, how do the scriptures say it? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. We have troubles, but God helps us. And this is an important note, a huge point of the book of Joseph. Not only does he help us from our troubles, he works them out for good so that we come to a place 
where we can look back on our troubles and say it was good that it happened. It brought forth good. It was worth it. In the end, that was the path to prosper. That was the path to good things. God is working out his plan. So, uh, everything is going good. And then, trouble. Verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. So you can get the gist of what's going on there. It's not complicated. Joseph is tempted. Joseph refuses and overcomes temptation. And when temptation couldn't work, didn't work on him, Joseph was falsely accused. She said that he tried to lay with her, and it's not true. The beloved son, the anointed son, the son who was sent to his brothers and rejected and betrayed and sold for the price of silver. He was falsely accused. Once more, it's, it's the story of Jesus that we're seeing. Verse 19. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Once more, God is with him and God is blessing him and God is giving him success while he's in prison. Once more, I want to encourage you. God has a plan and it is a good plan and the plan might involve you going to prison. It did for Joseph. It might involve you walking through some hard times. If you're anything like anyone in the Bible, that's going to be the case. But the promise, this, I want to clarify, this promise isn't for everyone. It's true. There is not a promise for everyone that all things work together for good. The promise is 
All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Meaning, when trouble comes, those who can cry out to him, Lord, help me, I believe in you. Those who hold to him. Some people, when trouble comes, they say, if there was really a God, none of this trouble would be here. It's not how the Joseph story plays out. God has a plan. That's the big thing. That, Joseph, Joseph was probably sitting in prison thinking, man, if I wouldn't have met that strange man in Shechem, I'd be home with my father and my family and none of this would have happened. But God has a plan. And beloved, uh, we gotta trust that. Especially when, when we're cold, right? And we're in the dark. He's got a plan and we're gonna see. He's gonna work it out for good. So Joseph's in prison. The warden sees something in this boy. Uh, he puts him in charge of everything. I don't know how. I don't know how that works. You put a you put a prisoner in charge of everything. There was something about Joseph that was very notably unique, and this is very very central to the message of the Bible from the beginning. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to get back into Genesis with you all because what the story of Genesis is, it's the tracing of a promise. A promise given to Abraham and then to his descendants. I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna have a special blessing. There's gonna be a special blessing upon you. People are gonna see it. People are gonna notice. Some are gonna hate you for it, but some are gonna be drawn in and they too will share in the blessing. A special, unique blessing. Joseph has that, and, um, well, he has success in, in everything he touches. Chapter 40, begin verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Okay, so you got the, the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. They show up in prison with Joseph. They both have dreams. I'll summarize how it works out. The, they're troubled. They have a dream. And Joseph says, tell me the dream. And first, the cupbearer goes and he says, I had this dream. Uh, there was some grapes in my hand. Uh, three of them, I believe. And I was giving them to Pharaoh. And Joseph said, good news. I have good news for you. This is what the dream means. In three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be elevated to your place of honor. Pharaoh is going to lift you up. And the baker's watching. He's excited. Okay, okay. <laughs> my turn. I had a dream. There was some bread on my head and some birds ate it. Three loaves of bread. And the, Joseph says to the baker, bad news. In three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head. From your body. Whoa. Um, okay. 
verse uh, 13, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. He's talking to the cupbearer. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Remember that little phrase, would you? Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Oh. That word dungeon means a little more. The word translated dungeon means a little more than it does on the surface. And this, when all goes well with you, remember me. There's something here that's so amazing. Uh, I'm going to get to it eventually. So what happens next? Joseph says to the cupbearer, remember me. Remember me when it happens as I say it's going to happen. In three days when Pharaoh takes you back to the place of honor, remember me. And the cupbearer didn't remember him. (laughs) Cupbearer forgot about him right away. And then two years later, two years later, uh, so two more years of being in prison, blessed by God, anointed by God, two more years of being in prison. And then the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at the time, Pharaoh, he has two dreams that trouble him. The first one, there was... Seven big healthy cows that were then swallowed up by seven thin and sick cows. And then he woke up. That was weird. He went back to sleep. He had another dream. There were seven heads of grain that were big and and healthy swallowed up by seven sickly thin heads of grain. And Pharaoh wakes up and he's really troubled. He understands this was a, a spiritual dream. I don't know about you, I have a lot of random dreams that mean nothing. But I've had six, perhaps seven spiritual dreams where it was very plain that God was telling me something. And, and usually I found out what that was pretty quickly afterwards. But in this case, Pharaoh knows that there's something about this dream. And he's troubled and he and tries to find everyone to tell him what the dream means. And he gathers you know, all the all the king's horses and men, and no one can tell him what's going on. No one can help him. And then the cupbearer says, oh yeah, I forgot. I was supposed to tell you about something. Um, Slipped my mind, but now that you mentioned this dream, there was this man that I met who had the power of God upon him, and he could interpret dreams, and I was supposed to tell you about him. I forgot, but anyways, he's in prison, and... Um, and so Pharaoh goes and gets him. Joseph tells him, this is what the dream means. God's given me the wisdom to know it. The seven healthy cows, the seven healthy grains, that means there's going to be seven years of abundance. Everything is going to go really well for seven years. But then the seven sick cows, seven sick grains means after that there's going to be seven years of famine. So here's what you need to do. During the seven years of abundance, you need to start saving up and preparing. You need to build storehouses. 
You need to fill them, fill them so that you can last for these seven years. So Pharaoh asked them, where can we find anyone like this man? One in whom, this is chapter 41, verse, beginning verse 38. Where can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Okay, I'm going to break down for you how crazy what just happened is when you put it in its proper perspective. Joseph is raised up. He's given the signet ring, which means he has, he's in power. He's given all this glory and honor. Everything is under his control. He gives the king the message that's going to save a lot of people from famine. He's going to end up saving his brothers. We'll get to that. But rewind for a moment. I'm bringing all this together. Rewind for a bit. I told you, Joseph was in prison. And he said, I did not deserve anything to put me in this dungeon, is what he said. I have done nothing wrong. Yet here I am. And once more, he's a picture of Jesus, who though no sin was on his lips, though he was innocent, he was put in the dungeon. And there's even more there. There's more. So the word that's translated dungeon there, it's a word in Hebrew that's often translated pit. And what it means if you... Read the Bible, so often you see phrases like those who go down to the pit. It's the place of death. It's alongside the word, the Hebrew word sheol, which you might know. But over and over and over and over again, this word the pit is the place of death. Don't let me go down to the pit. It's like being underground. The dungeon, the pit. He's in the place of death. And Joseph goes, though he had done nothing wrong, he is put to death, so to speak. He's put in the pit. And then he's raised to the place of glory and honor. And as the scriptures say, Jesus, having risen from the dead, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And perhaps you know what that means. To sit down at the right hand of the throne of God means that he sits down with all power and all authority. And just so Joseph went from being in the pit, in the place of death, to resurrected, to have the ring on his finger that gives him the authority to do anything he wants in the kingdom. And he's paraded around with glory and honor from the pit, from the place of death, resurrected to the place of glory and honor. And there's more. Some of you, some of you might be thinking, I still think you're going out on a limb a little bit trying to connect these stories. Oh yeah? Check this. 
Check this. He's in the dungeon, the place of death. And then he is resurrected to the place of honor. Okay? In his place of death, who was with him? Two criminals. One of them was exalted, and the other one was not. When Jesus was in his place of death, who was right beside him? Two criminals. And the phrasing is the same. Remember me when you get to your kingdom. That's what the criminal said, didn't he? Same words that we read. When you're exalted, remember me. It's pointing to the same thing. Do you see there is a hidden story here that you're supposed to see, and when you see, you're supposed to realize someone planned that, didn't they? And upon realizing that, you're supposed to go farther and say, God is the God of the Bible. It's not just stories by, written by men. And from that, you're supposed to say, if he is God, then I need to acknowledge him. I need to acknowledge myself as a sinner. I need to hear what the scriptures say. The scriptures say good news. Atonement for sin. Payment for sin. Forgiveness in the name of Jesus. The scriptures say more good news. He rose from the dead. New life. It's true. It's all true. It's not just stories written by men. It's true. And there's more. There's more. Do you know what happens after this? You know what happens after this? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to summarize. His brothers, they get hungry once the famine comes. They're, they're out in the land of Canaan. And they hear that there's food in Egypt. So they come. They come. They see Joseph in charge of everything. But they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him in his glory. Once more, read the New Testament. That's how it plays out when Jesus is first risen from the dead. He has a conversation with two of his disciples and they have no idea who he is. Um, they don't recognize him. And there is this long interchange that lasts a couple chapters that I'm very excited to get into once we return to our story on Genesis, beginning next week. So I hope to see all y'all. Um, we're going to get to that, but, but not today. But there's a long interchange. But eventually, um, Joseph... Actually, let me read this part. Uh, chapter 45, beginning verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Yeah, the, the, the one they betrayed and sold is now Lord of every, everything. Um, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. He loves them. That's why he's crying. So much he wants to be reconciled. Even though they, they did what they did to him, he doesn't have a heart of vengeance. He has a heart of longing. And here we see the, the heart of Jesus for sinners such as, as, as us. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh and lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. Okay, there's more amazement here. Joseph, he just wants to forgive his brothers. He said it was God that sent me. This was God, it wasn't you. You think it was you that sent me, it wasn't you. God sent me. God has a plan. And beloved, again, this is a big point that I want you guys holding to as many of you are going home to cold homes on Easter Sunday. God has a plan. God is doing this. And we're going to see it work out for glory as it did with the story we read here. From the pit to the place of honor. But now catch this. Catch this. The brothers see him. He forgives them. Though they had betrayed him, though they had sinned against him, now what has Joseph become? He says it here, God sent me here to save you, and now I'm ruler of all Egypt. What has he become? He has become both Lord and Savior. And upon forgiving his brothers, he gives them a mission. He says, go to my father. Tell them, Tell him that I am alive. Tell him that God has made me Lord of all Egypt and to come to me. Beloved, this is the whole Christian message. The message is, I'm not angry with you. I forgive you. You have sinned, but I forgive you. And now, having been forgiven, I am sending you with a message Let them know I am alive, resurrected. Let them know I am Lord. And tell them to come to me. It's the entirety of what we're doing here. That's the message that is proclaimed. Jesus is alive. We have a Savior who is alive, risen from the dead, in the body, in the flesh. He is Lord. He is King. We proclaim him as such. And come to him. In your hearts, come to him. Turn from unbelief. Turn from self-righteousness. Turn from pride. Turn from unbelief. And receive a king, a savior, the one who is Lord and Savior, who went from the grave, from the pit, to the place of honor. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And once more, this is how it works. When Jacob believed, it says when he believed. At first he didn't believe. At first he heard, Joseph is alive. He's like, no, no, Joseph died a long time ago. 
Now, uh, when he hears Joseph is alive, and when he believes, it says his spirit is revived. And I don't know if you've heard this part of the message. There's a promise for us now. For all who would believe. What is the promise? It's a series that, that we've, we've been in up until now. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit, which is new life. Upon believing, upon believing in the resurrection, we taste the resurrection. Our spirits are revived. Father God, let this all, let this all make sense in our hearts that you are risen from the dead in the flesh with a new body and so it will be for us. Lord, help us believe in this message of the resurrection. There is a resurrection from the dead. The story's not over. You have a plan that even death cannot stop. Lord, help us believe. Help us believe, Lord, in you as Lord, in you as Savior, in you as King, and revive in our hearts. Revive our hearts to believe and now, Lord, as we sing, Lord, I pray that it would be felt by those who believe in you here. And perhaps there are some who have believed in you for the first time in their whole lives. Lord, I pray that it would be felt that you are alive in us, that our spirits are revived. And the resurrection that we are singing about, we are able to taste. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.